Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Today we are chatting with Mistress Lila Sage, a Los Angeles-based pro-dom and witch. I've known Lila for about three years now. We both practiced magic and shared BDSM experiences together and share the similar philosophy that these practices weave a similar and connected web. We are looking forward to hearing her perspective on domination, being a psychological seductress, and the spiritual threads of BDSM. Welcome, Mistress Lila. Hello, thank you. So lovely to meet you all. (laughs) One of the fundamental questions we ask our guests on the podcast is, how did your journey with magic begin? And where are you in your spiritual path now? Well, I started magic when I was pretty young. Um, The women in my family are intuitive on my mother's side. So I remember being taught at a pretty young age to trust my intuition and my grandmother would sit me down and say like here's how you open and close a circle and this is how to invite in good spirits and not have energies that you don't want so I've grown up with a respect for energies for the natural world Mm -hmm. and try to incorporate that as much as I can into my life. Um, Where I'm at now, I feel like in the last year I've been working a lot with plants in particular and stones, more natural elements, and incorporating that into my life. So now I have a ton of plants all around my apartment, my Mm -hmm. kitchen, and outside on my little balcony in my sacred space. And I've been really interested in incorporating that more into my BDSM sessions and being able to teach people how to connect back with their own intuition as well. When did you first discover BDSM and how did you begin as a submissive or dominatrix? And feel free to discuss personally and professionally. Oh, thank you. I got into the BDSM scene about four years ago, initially through performance. So I was a bottom. So in BDSM, you generally have someone who's a top who is doing the action and a bottom who is receiving the action. So I was bottoming for performance, specifically rope and floggers and things of that nature. So I did start out as a submissive or as a bottom, which is the less or the more power neutral term. And from there, doing more and more performances, I realized that I wanted to be the facilitator and be the person creating what was happening in the story and the action. So I kind of transitioned into doing more of that. And from there, I had some friends suggest that I should try it professionally. That Mm. might be a good option. And I've really loved it. And that also kind of bled over into my personal life as well. I'm a a proud switch in my personal life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I have a partner that I get to play with on both sides (laughs) of the slash. But in my professional life, I enjoy being strictly dominant. I have so much respect for professional submissives. (laughs) They... Mm. They have a lot of um, inner strength to be able to do that. That for me, my path being a professional dominant is what I feel most comfortable with. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
In your personal definition, what does it mean to be a dominatrix? Well, I think it's important to talk about what a dominatrix looks like to most people (laughs) before I define mine. So dominatrix generally connotes domination. So you are in charge and in control of someone else. Generally, I feel like most of the population looks at that as the, you know, tall woman wearing all black leather, wielding Mm -hmm. a whip, and um, (laughs) probably with a very stern, like, scowl on her face. (laughs) And that's not really my style of domination. To me, dominance is more of a state of mind. It's about having an inner knowing and a confidence and to be assertive and asking for what you want. Mm. That's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) So on your professional and super gorgeous website, by the way, I love all of your (laughs) photos, you. um, you say that you've been described as a sensual sadist nurturing dominatrix and merciless tease. Mm -hmm. And I love that description so much. Can you expand on how that's come to be the energy that you bring to domination? Sure. Well, as I was saying in the previous question, I'm I'm not really the whip-wielding, scary, stern dominatrix. My play tends to be more on the sensual side. And I very much enjoy psychological play as well. So... Being able to get inside someone's head, ask a lot of questions, learn what makes them tick is what's fun for me. I enjoy being able to get reactions and push buttons. So it's it's more on the sensual side and less on the scary, I'm going to force you onto your knees Mm. (laughs) kind of side. (laughs) I make sure that everything that I do is done with the person or people I'm working with's consent. So that's an important part because if it's just force, and people don't agree to it, then it's abuse. And we definitely don't want to step over into that territory. Mm. That's so important. I love that, you know, being a dominatrix can be, it can be on both ends of the spectrum. It can be like, get down on your knees and blah. You know, like there's so many different ways to approach it. And I really love that you have found your own unique path through domination. And I'm sure there are lots of of lucky people out there who get to experience that. (laughs) Uh Thank you. Yeah, and representation is so important. Like you were saying about the image that a lot of people have of a dominatrix, it's not necessarily accurate for everybody. And I think it's important that we represent different types of BDSM. Mm. Agreed. That's something that's really cool with this work is you get to create who you want to be. Mm. And there's so much community among the women that are professional dominatrices. If someone comes to me, a client, and says, oh, I'm really interested in this and it's not something that I do, I'm happy to refer them to someone else. And there's not really a sense of competition and cattiness Mm. because we're all so different Mm. that if someone doesn't vibe with me or doesn't you know, really connect with what I do, I know that they're going to connect with Mm. someone else. So I never feel like there's this intense competition in the way that other professions can feel Mm. among women, which is really nice. Yeah. There's there's a place for everyone. Definitely. So 
what does a day in the life of a dominatrix look like? <laughs> I feel like this is going to be way less glamorous <laughs> than people are hoping for. Someone but feeds you grapes. I know. I wish. I do Brushes not have your any. hair. Well, that part I do get. <laughs> um, that's one of my favorite things, actually, for self-care is brushing my hair or having someone else brush it for me. Mm. But in my day-to-day, I'm happy enough to wake up without an alarm clock. I generally stay up pretty late. My most productive hours are between like two and three in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm definitely a night owl. And I will get up and I'll make myself some tea because that's what I really enjoy doing and go out and water my plants. And then it's usually sitting down to my computer, answering emails, fun things like that. The more exciting side of it would be going and doing sessions, sometimes in fun locations or random spaces outside of the dungeon. I rented a yoga studio last week to do a session in because he wanted a more spiritual kind of connective session. And that was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Um, I enjoy doing like podcasts like this and going to events. Sometimes I get to travel to different places. I was in Mexico visiting a client a few weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. So it varies. I'd say that there is no typical day, Mm. but I like that I'm kind of able to create what I want my day to look like Mm. and, yeah, decide how exciting or mellow I want it to be. You have a lot of, like, independence and authority over your time when you do the the freelance um, domination work, it seems. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so, which is great. Okay, I'm super intrigued about this like sensual, spiritual in a yoga studio session. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm very curious about how you tie spirituality and maybe even witchcraft and magic into your work, if you could speak on that a little. Of course. For me, I definitely incorporate a lot of ritual into my play and into my sessions. So it's something as simple as in the beginning of every session, I carry around a sage spray Mm. and I will sage the space to clear out any energy that was there before me and to make sure that I have a clean slate for everyone when they come in. There are also a little bit more traditional rituals in the BDSM community like collaring. So whenever I have someone come in, I'll have them kneel down, take out a collar, and then I have my own way of putting it around their neck, making sure that they feel held and comfortable in that space. It's a nice physical touchstone for them to be able to drop into that space and to be reminded that they're in a safe space, that they're okay to let go. They don't need to think about whether they just came from a busy meeting or in traffic or any of that. It's just a nice reminder to be present with me and with themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then, do you mind speaking a little about your personal life? Do you integrate spirituality or magic or ritual into your own like personal BDSM practices? I do. I think it's important, whether as a top or bottom dominant submissive, to set an intention for what you want in play. I find that there can be a lot of growth work that comes mm. from doing BDSM and going in with an idea, not always necessarily for the submissive, but it can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, As in my professional work, 
I will like to go in. If someone's not very communicative, I'll set a goal that day of getting them to vocalize more. Or mm. if I can tell they're really stressed and need a cathartic session, I'm going to go a little bit harder on the flogging so they can have that physical and emotional release. Mm, wow. And do you articulate that to them ahead of time or is that just kind of like within your own It depends. (laughs) It depends. Sometimes if you vocalize it, it can go against what you're trying Uh, to do. So sometimes it needs to be a little bit more covert because people want to... to feel like it's it's their idea, mm-hmm. right? And of course, this is where it can be kind of gray and sketchy on <laughs> manipulation and ethics. As long as you're encouraging and pushing the submissive to go toward a place that's going to make their lives better, mm-hmm. like, we all want to be more communicative. We all you know, want to have a place where we feel safe to express our desires. So I feel comfortable without expressing that in the very beginning of the session to just kind of guide them towards that space Mm. and then it feels more like they're coming to that realization themselves Mm. as opposed to being forced to speak. Wow, that's interesting. And do you think there's a combination of like your own powers of intuition that fall into that? Or do you think mainly just kind of like observing throughout other sessions with them what they might need? Because to me, it sounds really intuitive. I think that intuition is definitely a large part of it. And I will go in with kind of a rough draft of what I want a session to look like and, you know, maybe list out, okay, we're going to do the coloring ritual and then move into some fun games and then maybe go into some spanking, whatever it is. Mm. But if someone comes in and I'm thinking they need a more cathartic session and they really just want to lay their head on my lap and talk, I have to be okay with scrapping all of that and listening to what they're needing. Mm. So I definitely want to be the facilitator for their experience. And if I'm not listening or enforcing my own ego or my own agenda down their throat, it's not going to be the fulfilling session that's going to help them and going to be helpful for me as well. Wow. Okay. So it's not just intuition, but it's like real presence and holding space for them as well. Very much. Yeah. Learning to read different cues and body Mm. movements and... If people go really deep into, they call it subspace, so it's this kind of floaty, endorphin-high, altered headspace. If someone's really deep into that and potentially unable to vocalize, you need to know when it's okay to keep going, when it's necessary to stop, like how to guide them if they get into an interesting headspace where maybe it's um, they're being triggered or something's coming up to know how to change the space, move them out of it. So it's, it's kind of like being a shaman. You're guiding them through this mm. altered experience mm. and they trust that. you to come out on the same side. Okay. Or on the mm. other side. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Like a kinky shaman. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Say kinky life coach as well. It's a good one. So can you tell us what have been some of the best experiences you've had with being a dom and maybe some of the worst experiences you've had or maybe something that sticks out to you? Sure. That you feel comfortable sharing. Right. Of course. (laughs) Fortunately, I haven't had too many bad experiences or, yeah, I wouldn't even characterize them as bad. Just learning experiences. Mm. Mm -hmm. So great experiences. I really love after sessions getting emails from clients And they'll give feedback on how it impacted them and what they're feeling. And just getting an email and saying, like, hey, I feel really amazing today. 
I felt like I was really heard and seen yesterday. I got something off of my chest like, oh, I didn't realize I was into that thing. And now I'm really excited to tell my partner about it or try this. Like that's really enjoyable for me to know that I'm, I'm having an impact on their lives or they're like, I felt confident and could go and ask for a promotion today. Like it doesn't just need to, yeah, it doesn't need to just necessarily be about their connection with their eroticism. It can definitely transfer that confidence into their day-to-day life with family, friends, work, all of the above. So that I really enjoy. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to be flown to Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. Yes. Or have someone buy you a a pair of shoes. Yes, Um, shoes. Also Mm -hmm. nice. Which sounds really materialistic when I first... Got, well, I had I had some trouble like accepting gifts in the beginning, and then I realized for some people that is their love language, mm-hmm. and that's how they want to communicate their gratitude. And so, in the same way that I used to be uncomfortable with receiving verbal compliments, I had to say, okay, they didn't have to do that for you. Like this is a gift, and you need to treat it as such and mm-hmm. be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So, I so like not that. so much a financial dominatrix then. Not really. I do have some clients that are Mm -hmm. into that, Mm -hmm. and I find the psychology of it fascinating because Mm -hmm. it's so different for everyone. Mm -hmm. With BDSM, all all kinks, all fetishes are very individualized and Uh personal, I've found. So I like figuring out what it is that makes that person interested in those things. But financial domination has not been as much of a draw to me. Mm-hmm. You said we're like not feeling so sure about accepting gifts, whereas like some doms are like on a completely other page where they're like, gimme, 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 gimme. And this is how you worship your goddess, gimme, gimme, gimme. And it's, I respect each way of going about it, but it's just like you said, it's individual for each person. And mm-hmm. they also may be drawing just a different type of client. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, did you want me to talk on negative? Oh, yeah. I I forgot. I was so excited about the happy things. Um, I haven't had, fortunately, a ton of learning experiences. It's mostly in the beginning, people will try to send you a lot of emails and talk to you and will want services or emotional labor without Mm. paying for it. And I feel like that's common for sex workers is that women are expected to hold space and to be nurturing without any sort of compensation for it. So it was in the beginning for me learning who was serious and who actually wanted my services and respected me Mm -hmm. for my work and who was just looking to have a conversation and not really wanting to go anywhere. I'd say that was the most challenging thing. Mm. Yeah. But once again, with intuition, you learn those things pretty quick. <laughs> and I've had really good experience ever since. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about Sestafosta. Um, you brought up sex worker stuff. And Lila, both of us were similarly heartbroken during that ruling because it negatively affected sex workers of all kinds. Um, how has that new law changed your line of work? Yes. So for people that don't know, the um, SESTA and FOSTA rulings were supposed to be against trafficking, human trafficking, specifically of underage people. I don't know if it was specifically just girls, but underage minors. 
And the idea was to prevent these platforms from advertising the transport of these humans, which we can all agree is a great thing. We definitely want that. Absolutely. Unfortunately, how they went about it shut down a lot of platforms that sex workers were advertising on and being seen on. So things like Backpage, Craigslist Personals, The Erotic Review were all closed down. I also had a lot of mistress friends that had to move their websites offshore because they were afraid about being targeted, specifically if they owned a dungeon space and had multiple mistresses listed. Mm. They didn't want to be seen as like, oh, these are the people that you can purchase and traffic. So it, it definitely affected how we go about advertising and how we go about being seen. Hopefully, it's a thing that will be overturned. We don't know. I mean, it happened within this year, so it's, it's still kind of early, and there's a lot of people pushing back against it. I don't think that you know sex work and domination is going to go away. It's something that's been around for thousands of years, going back to goddess worship and temples. <laughs> so we just get creative and find ways to be seen and to be heard. And there are new platforms that are popping up overseas that you can go on. Proton Mail came out of it. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, it just encourages innovation, I think, and shows the ingenuity of these strong female entrepreneurs. That's such a positive and optimistic outlook. I really appreciate that. It's refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Sex I mean, we find a way, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's a need for it. Sex work is so much more than just having sex with a person for money. You're, yeah. you're talking about something beyond the spirituality of most regular married couples, right? Like this is an intimacy that a lot of people are afraid to explore and you're giving them the space. So you will find a way. I have no doubt. Okay. I love all of this so much, and I'm very new to BDSM, and one of the things that I'm really interested in is how does being a dominatrix impact your personal life? Mm-hmm. You know, you've had a journey for the last five years, you said? Yeah, four or five. Mm-hmm. Four or five, and you came from sub to dom, and I want to know, how has that changed Lila the lady? <laughs> <laughs> Ups, downs, goods, bads? I love that question. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this professionally is because I feel that BDSM has such a strong potential for impact in people's lives. And for me, on a personal level, it definitely taught me to have a voice and Mm -hmm. about communication and consent and all of these things that I feel like are not talked about often enough in mainstream, in life, among friends, among family, among lovers. And... Yeah, just being in a space where someone said, well, what what do you want? I had that happen in one of my first sessions, and I, I just stopped because I had no idea how to answer that. Mm. I was used to doing sessions, having people come to me and say, well, these are the things I'm interested in, and you know, this is how you can help me, and I love doing that. But to have someone say, well, like, what are you interested in today? I'm like, oh, it would be really nice to get a foot rub right now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Let's do that. So it encouraged me and gave me that sense of my own power to ask for the things that I want. And that translated to a bunch of different things, like further into my work and into life. And yeah, just being more expressive with my needs instead of, I think, as as women often we're taught to be nurturing and to accept other people's needs in front of our own. Mm-hmm. And it's not selfish to have your own needs and to vocalize those things. In fact, it's absolutely necessary. And in my work, you have to give from a place of abundance, not from a place of lack. 
So if I'm not completely full and overflowing, I can't, I can't help anyone else. If I'm just asking for people to give and give and give and I'm not giving anything back, it's, it's very much a, a two-way street. I need their energy to feed off of and then I can give it back to them. And it's this energy exchange, this push and pull. Mm, that yeah. makes it you have such exciting. an infectiously positive outlook oh, to everything yeah. like like I, I hesitate to say like but has it affected you negatively because I really don't think it could have possibly but has has being has it caused any sort of tension in your life maybe in the beginning there was definitely it's definitely a commitment to being a sex worker there are things that you have to think about when you go into this industry um a question I get asked a lot is, do your parents know? Like, yes, my parents do know. And, you know, that's a conversation that we had to have. Like, I had to come out to friends and family and let them know what I was doing. And that's a choice that people need to make. And some some dominatrices and sex workers will choose to wear masks or to not show their face and to preserve some kind of anonymity. So it really was a a deep kind of like soul searching of, okay, are you okay with being labeled as this for potentially the rest of your life? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my work and what I do and I see how it helps and heals people. And so I can't imagine any other way, but for some people they have, you know, a career that they don't want to lose and like sex work is not their full-time gig. And, you know, they're afraid of what family and friends are going to think. And yeah, so it's, it was definitely a choice. Mm. And I think it's to tell people. Oh, go ahead. I think it's such an important <laughs> choice. I love that it's the choice that you made. Not that anyone wearing a mask isn't going to get my business. I love that too. Oh, but I just, I feel like there's so much about you that you get to now bring to your work that mm-hmm. otherwise wouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. You might not have felt that, that safe. I love this. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, how did your parents respond? (laughs) Good question. That's usually the follow-up question to the parent question. Um, They both took a minute to process, which I feel like is a pretty, well, I guess I can't say it's a pretty standard thing, but took a minute to process. My mom this year on my birthday sent me a card and said how proud she was that I am an entrepreneur and started my own business and I'm doing what I love and feel passionate about. Oh. Yeah, so that was really cool. <laughs> so nice. It is. It really is. So they've been supportive. Um, my dad knows what I do. He would rather not necessarily talk about it as much, which is fine. It's not like he's against it. It's just parents worry of how people are going to perceive their children. Mm. So I think it comes more from a worry of, you know, he doesn't want me to lose opportunities or to be labeled as something that could negatively affect me in the future. So mm-hmm. it's it's not from a, a dislike. It's mm-hmm. just from a fear. Yeah, it's understandable. And I think it's really important for us to note that at least from what it seems like you're saying, but also in my experience of friends of mine that do sex work as well, that it's often less the experiences and the existence of being a sex worker that is negative so much as societal perception. So it actually has nothing to do with the work itself and everything to do with the damaging negative ideas that people have that aren't fully educated around sex work. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that's why I think it's important to have podcasts like this one. Ah, thank you. <laughs> to help dispel those, those myths. 
Hmm. So going back to magic, Mm -hmm. uh, what does magic mean to you? Well, as I mentioned on the, I think the first question, for me, magic has always been really closely aligned with intuition and in trusting that inner knowing and inner being that you have a guidance system and something that's pulling you, pushing you, guiding you Mm -hmm. along that right path. But it's also, for me, about a transformation, about a sort of alchemy and whether that's setting an intention and then choosing to create that physically through ritual or through play. Yeah. Mm. I love that. And I'm wondering for all our listeners that are gobbling up this information and like, yes, I want more. I want to explore being more dominant. Do you have any advice for them of how to start on the journey of being more dominant? And do you have any differing advice if they would like to explore more pro-dom work? Sure. So part one of the question, if you are wanting to be more dominant, I think the first thing is to have a moment and ask what it is that you would like, what would make your life happier and easier, and then be able to vocalize that if you have a partner to your partner. So is would it make you really happy to have your partner come home and cook dinner twice a week or to brush your hair or to give you a bubble bath? I tend to like service things. So all of my, <laughs> or bring you flowers, something like that. I find the easiest way to communicate that to people is to say, you know what would make me really happy? Mm. And then add in your request. That's beautiful, simple phrasing. I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, partners, they want to make you happy. They want to do nice things for you. So if you start with, you know, it would make me happy is, or it would make me really happy if you cooked me dinner tomorrow. And if they're able to make that happen, then they will also be okay with them saying no, because that's a very real part of things too. (laughs) Sometimes they're going to say no, and that's perfectly okay. So those are both important. If you are looking to be more dominant and don't have a partner, this can also impact your work life. So if you are really wanting that raise or really wanting to make your voice known in an interview or something like that, being able to take that initiative and to vocalize that, sometimes writing is helpful. So sending an email is a completely valid method. Yeah, just making sure that your voice is heard and that it comes from a place of confidence, Mm -hmm. that you are so sure that this is what you want and what you're going to feel good with moving towards your greatest excitement that of course you would want to ask for that because it's going to make your life better and easier and happier mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> if you're wanting to move into the professional realm wherever you're located I recommend educating yourself as much as you can there are some really great books out there Fet Life is a really great resource spelled f-e-t-l-i-f-e dot com You can create a profile. There's a lot of really wonderful communities. You can find events to attend. Sometimes it's really nice to just go and watch how other people play and how they interact to give you a sense of your own style and what you might be interested in. Like maybe you are the whip-wielding dom or maybe you're (laughs) more of a cuddly kind of mothering, nurturing energy. And all of those are fine, but finding 
what speaks most to you is helpful. And then, of course, once you get past that part, then it goes into the business side of things. But I think having a sense of your own identity and what you can bring Hmm. is, is the best way. And through connecting with other people in the community and reading, I think is a a really wonderful way of getting into that. Mm. I love that. Amazing. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Lila, for all of your insight and guidance and Fun story. We're so happy to have you today. Yay. Thank you for your insight. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Sex Magic Podcast. You can find us at sexmagicpodcast.com, on Instagram at sexmagicpodcast, or send us an email or a recorded audio clip if you'd like us to answer your question live at sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. 